as soon as possible but latest by 2050 right which means every part of our economy needs to be decarbonized that means transportation power food buildings industry services right? what we eat what we buy right everything right so it's yeah right it's uh, i i've heard people compare it to tech right? it's just like how everything today uses tech in one way or the other every part of our economy will have to decarbonize right so you can pick any part and say okay how is how is sustainability impacting this sector right so when you think about transportation you think about electric vehicles when you think about power you think about renewable energy when you think about apparel you think sustainable fashion right when you think about software you think about so, uh, sustainability tools right so in in that sense it's quite massive right there's green steel there is um, you know and, and decarbonize almost as i was saying everything yeah i mean i almost think about it as you know 30 years back where technology was yeah. right i mean there it was just starting to disrupt some uh, some businesses and you could think of businesses as enabled by technology of course mm-hmm. today every business is a technology business yeah. in some form or fashion right um, but in such a space right i mean obviously there are there's no dearth of problems to solve yeah. I mean, you just described seven or eight industries yeah. that uh, you know required sustainability and uh, uh, decarbonization as you mentioned right yeah. uh, but when you look at the market holistically what are the different uh, players what are the kind of problems that people are typically solving so there are different problems that have reached different levels of maturity right you look at something like renewable energy it's already a fairly mature market you have public large public companies private equity really investing in massive massive you know uh, It, it's it's already a significant part of our grid. You look at electric vehicles; it's been around for five, ten years. You are starting to see fairly large companies being built. There's of course companies like Tesla outside India, which have become really, really massive. So that's that's on one end, right? Like the, that's the mature side of sustainability. On the more startup side, what we're seeing uh, today is there's a lot of interest in the agriculture space. Right? A lot of uh, companies working on um outside india you see a lot of uh, sustainable meat lab grown meat alternate meats that that type of work in india there's a lot of folks working on problems like dairy and um how to make agriculture rice and other type dairy more sustainable uh you see a bunch happening on the software space and this is basically using tech to help companies to help individuals become more sustainable and you see companies now starting to work in each specific sector right so you'll find startups that are working on the steel sector and startups that are working on the cement sector and startups that are working on power and startups that are working in fashion and startups which are working on fmcg right like so it's it's a little bit of 
you know, starting to impact the whole economy. I mean, I think that was well said. I think overall, um, like Ankit was saying, we expect that over the coming decades, climate will impact kind of sectors across the whole economy. And therefore, I think it's an opportune moment to think about for anyone, regardless of what sector you're in, kind of how, you know, what there are these concepts of transition risk and physical risk oftentimes. And maybe this is a good moment to kind of quickly introduce those concepts. When you think about, so what transition risk means is that, you know, hey, I'm emitting this amount of CO2. I expect to be in a world in a few decades where emissions of CO2 will be uh, a bad thing, right? In some way, there'll be some economic cost to emitting that amount of CO2. And therefore, there is a risk to me if I'm not ready for that transition, right? So every this will be true for every sector. And so Ankit talked about some of those high uh, intensity, emissions intensity sectors that need to be particularly cognizant of this. Uh, and then there's also physical risk, which is again kind of pervasive, in the sense that if I have, if I'm a big multinational, I have um, you know thousands of locations across the country, these really expensive factories across the country. I expect these factories to run for you know 30, 40, 50 years potentially. Uh, these you know large, uh, very expensive uh, uh, infrastructure projects that are expected to have lifetimes of around 50 years. I need to be cognizant of uh, an evolving climate in those areas. And so regardless of what sector you're in, uh, I think now is an opportune time to start thinking about some of these things. Right. Yeah, it's a very interesting moment, I think, right? Ankit, so I'm going to ask you to don your consultant hat. Uh, Plethora of problems to solve. You know, how do you zero in on the problem to solve, right? Which is imminent, which is also profitable. You know, think of it as the right people at the right time sort of a thing. We look at it from two, three angles, right? As a startup, you always want to be early, but not too early, right? You definitely don't want to be late, right? Uh, So you want to look at sectors which are starting to get ready, right? So in India, there have been a bunch of regulations that got passed around corporate sustainability. Top thousand listed entities in India have to start reporting their ESG metrics. There's a strong push from a government. They've introduced a law that requires companies to start becoming more sustainable. There is push from RBI. There's a lot happening, which is giving strong tailwinds. The second thing you want to consider is, of course, impact. You come to a sector like sustainability if you care about impact immensely. Right? So we also said, okay, which part of the economy do you go after that will have significant second order, third order effects on rest of the economy? So hence, we decided to focus on one financial institutions, because if you take a large bank, they would be lending to almost everyone, right? And through that lending, through the cost of capital changes that they can do linked to sustainability, they can impact and create economic incentives for a large part of economy to become sustainable. So that's a big focus for us. Secondly, large companies who have, who have huge supply chains, who sell a lot of products, right? There again, through them, you start not just making them sustainable, but also their supply chains, their customers. Right? So finding such leverage points in the economy, which you can use to you know, have a much bigger impact than just serving those uh, companies. Right. Uh, so I think we've covered a little bit about the space, right? Yeah. But I'm curious uh, to understand more about your backgrounds. Uh, you know, of course, I've seen your LinkedIn's and whatnot, yeah. right? But uh, what is the story of Step Change? You know, how did it come about uh, together, right? And how did it go from idea to product to company? Sure. So. Well, my journey, as you're aware, we started as from consulting in, in the U.S. I got exposed to a lot more of what was happening in sustainability. California is a little bit on the forefront of a lot of these issues. Uh, when I came back to India, uh, I 
worked for many years at Ola, where I was part of the effort to start electric vehicles, and then uh, was one of I was leading Ola Electric uh, for a fair bit of time in its early journey. Uh, so that's when I really sort of started thinking about sustainability in a very sort of deep way, and how do you have a massive in- impact at an economy level? So when I stepped out of Ola, I was looking for different ways of having that impact. Right. And uh, Sid and I got along. We were we overlapped at MIT when I was there, and basically through you know throwing a bunch of ideas together, talking to customers, iterated, and uh, finally landed on what what we're doing now. Yeah, and I guess Ankit explained a lot of um, the way it was conceptualized, but I'll give you some quick background about me. I did both my undergrad and graduate work at MIT, uh, and so I was very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of really innovative work in the space. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening uh, at MIT. In between my undergrad and grad school, I was actually back in India working in the nonprofit space, uh, again in kind of uh, an environmental adjacent space in, in the waste management space. Uh, so I was kind of approaching a lot of these problems from... Um, the, the lens of tr- thinking about, you know, what kinds of decision-making tools like different stakeholders need across kind of government, private sector, et cetera, uh, and taking a somewhat academic lens on kind of, you know, where this these gaps existed. But I recognized even when I was uh, doing my doctoral work that uh, I was really ultimately interested in kind of applied solutions that work directly with stakeholders. Uh, and so as Ankit was saying, we were uh, introduced through a mutual friend of ours. And uh, it just seemed like a great time to kind of try and build something together, uh, both as we were saying, just from a macro environment perspective, it seems like this is the need of the hour. And then also just both of our individual journeys seem to have kind of led us to the point where we were both kind of ready to do something in the space. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so far, so good. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, this is too nascent a space to sort of go with a solution to the market, right? Yep. I mean, there's a lot of discovery, Right, understanding what the problem is, and and I think that's a given when you work with large enterprises anyway. Yeah. Uh, right, I could think of other sectors. Slight tangent. You're from a you know you you take care of the business, and you're from the uh, you know more of an academic orientation, right? What do you guys uh, clash on the most? <laughs> well, I, so I think that there's areas where we absolutely work on like. I, I end up spending time on sales. It ends up doing the research side. Product is where I think we both end up coming together and really thinking about, okay, how do we really bring this, make this happen, right? And I look more often than not take a commercial lens, right? And Sid will take a lens of, you know, the product needs to be a state of science in some ways, right? We want to not shortcut in any ways. Uh, we want to make sure we are truly bringing what's world-class to the Indian market. And, you know, there's, of course tensions between time to market and no but I, I think I mean well said and but I think I think it's a very healthy balance actually like I've, I've like you know I didn't know Ankit before we started this together right? we were introduced we kind of started brainstorming and then it took us some time before we started decided we wanted to do it together but now I feel like I mean I talk to him multiple times every day that I have been for the last two years I'd say we get along quite well I think it is a healthy balance i think because it is important as i was saying earlier i think coming from an academic background you know building very complex models and developing very complex models but not directly working with the stakeholder that wants to use them is a very different vibe from you know working on a startup where you have clients that are actually willing to kind of pay you but they need timely solution to the problem that they're trying to solve and so i think in many ways this is it's what i wanted frankly uh, is I, I want that pressure to kind of deliver something that is actually useful and timely in a way that serves like a very concrete real world stakeholder. 
and so I think that 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 push and pull is, is actually quite healthy. I feel like it's it's great. I, I enjoy it very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a great complementary attribute, right? I mean, yep. to have uh, really, uh, and we've noticed the same, you know, in other uh, with other startups, but especially in, in your space, right? I mean, having the domain insights yeah. and also having someone on the business end to ground those insights in reality, I think, is very very important. So, Ankit, you know, for people who've been listening in, if you want to just Take us through a 101 of what step change is in its current avatar today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the common use cases uh, you solve for and who are your customers? Sure, sure. I'll start a little bit with what we thought of and where we are today because it's a journey, right? Our hypothesis is that over time, sustainability will become just as important as financial outcomes for companies, right? It is, in my mind, the single most important problem that we have to solve in the next 20 to 30 years. It's very timely. Like we don't have the next 100 years to solve it. So when, when you have a problem like that, when you when governments are starting to ask companies that, hey, you have to start reducing emissions, in the end, the danda is going to come down and you're going to have a budget under which you have to stay every year. And that budget is going to reduce. Right? What happens when you have a budget in a company? It flows down company level budget becomes BU level, BU level becomes cost center level, and then individual managers have to stay within that budget. If I ask you today, you won't have really any clue of the sustainability impact of any decision you make. Because the decisions you are making as a manager are who to hire, not to hire, right? How, whether to choose this vendor versus the other. How does my product development change? Right? What platform to buy? Whatever. Right. While you understand the financial implications of these, the sustainability implications are very hard to measure. Right. So that's what we are heading towards. We want to make sure that as managers, as decision makers, no matter what decision you're making, you might be uh, making a product development decision, a vendor selection decision, a hiring decision. You should understand its climate, its sustainability consequences and take that as one of the inputs in making your decision. Also realize that that's a, that future is a few years out, but that's what we're building towards. Where we are today is we are starting more top-down. Right? We're working with companies to say first, hey, what are your ESG goals? What are your sustainability goals? Where do we want to be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Right? Do you want to set a net zero target? Uh, and why do you want to do something? Right? Do you care more about diversity? Do you care more about employee safety? Do you care more about net zero? Do you care about water, air pollution? How does this link to your business outcomes? So, for example, if you are working on sustainability primarily because you want to make sure that investors look at you in a certain way, then probably you care about your ESG ratings. Right? Each company today gets an ESG rating. So you want to focus on a specific rating and how to improve that. For somebody else, that may be more about their customers. Right? You, you are supplying to a large European retailer. They want to only buy sustainable products. So you're thinking about sustainability at a product level. Right? So... And you have to look at sustainability very differently when you think company versus product. So we take problems like these and we say, okay, then how do we start you on that journey? We help you baseline, we help you set certain targets. So there is a bit of a consulting phase for the first two months where we work with the company to make sure that the foundations are in place. right? And that, that's when we introduce our software, which starts to essentially baseline, analyze, help you do your reporting around ESG. Um, it's it's almost like your equivalent to your financial software, right? It's it's like an accounting software, but for ESG rather than for money. Yeah, but way more complex, right? Because I would imagine that you're operating in a very data poor landscape, and really, you know, yeah. you're dealing with scraps of uh, data, and pretty much everything can be a rabbit hole of things, right? I mean, 
looking at all of the decision making that goes across the business yeah. uh, life cycle. Absolutely. So, you know, could you take us through like, you know, a typical customer, what is your starting point and how do you, you know, how do you achieve success with them? Sure. I mean, I'll let Ankit kind of talk about some of the business side logistics, but maybe I can answer your question about, you know, data and things like that. I think we, the approach we generally take is first trying to understand kind of where the client is at, what data they have access to, what they are hoping to achieve, how we can kind of help them understand where they are in their ESG journey and where they need to go and work with them to co-develop kind of that process, right? So that tends to at least now be somewhat consultative and it is intentionally consultative. So it, it provides us with very clear feedback on the kinds of products we need to build and I can get into that in a bit. But as part of that process uh, is kind of this gap analysis from a data perspective as well, right? Understanding where they have data, where they don't have data, what kind of data, how it is structured, how easy it is to access, if there are kind of, you know, security or privacy implications of accessing that kind of data. There are all these different considerations that go into that process. And then finally, you kind of get a set of relatively structured data that we, is ready to kind of be input into a system. We've been working over the last year to make sure that our system is flexible enough to accept a lot of different types of those that that kind of end data and we've built it specifically with kind of Indian, large Indian companies in mind you know like Ankit was saying talking to clients understanding the kinds of data stored that they may have and then working backward from that to understand what we need to kind of provide them but once we do that there's still a lot of work that needs to happen between kind of taking let's say for example financial statement and converting that to a carbon accounting statement right there's just a lot of steps in between right and so that's why, I mean, this is a very interesting challenge for me personally as well, because it, there's a lot of technical work that needs to happen there, right? Like there's a lot of modeling work that needs to go into kind of trying to provide kind of a best guess uh, for a lot of things where you don't have data and then using hardcore data when you do have it, right? And when I say best guess, I mean kind of developing, you know, state of the science models, as Ankit was mentioning, to provide kind of you know, state of the science accuracy, which doesn't always mean it is 100% accurate, right? Because as you were mentioning, the space is rapidly evolving. And where we are today is definitely not 100% kind of accurate. And we will never, there's, you know, there's this famous saying, right? Like, you know, no models are accurate, but some are useful. And so we kind of try and actively take that lens of understanding, as Ankit was saying, what is the decision making kind of criteria, right? Like, where can we actually allow our clients to make empowered decisions that will move them in the right direction while offering them state of the science accurate accuracy where possible. And so there's I'm happy to dive into the data science side of things here. I mean, I guess at a high level, and as I was saying, you know, there's data in one format, let's call it financial data. That's one type of data, right? You could imagine another type of data being operational data that talks about, uh, you know, how many liters of diesel you consumed. So that is one type of data. There's one there abstracted away from that, which is how much you spent on diesel, right? And there's one layer deeper that says, what are the emissions associated with one liter of diesel, right? So you can think of these, I'm just simplifying it, but you can think of these three different layers. So you can imagine working with a company and asking them directly, hey, do you know how many liters of diesel you've consumed in this quarter, right? Let's say they say, yes, we know these are the specific activities that we you know, use diesel for, and this is the exact amount of diesel that we use, right? Then it becomes a somewhat easy, easier exercise to say, okay, well, I know that when one liter of diesel is combusted, this is the, these, these many kilograms of CO2 are emitted, right? So it becomes a relatively simple calculation. 
I say relatively simple, but there are a lot of caveats there as well. But in the interest of time, I won't dive into kind of the specifics there. But, but there is a model basically that kind of takes this information and provides kind of a very informed estimate for kind of the, the amount of carbon associated with that activity. There's another layer, as I was saying, where, you know, they don't have information on how much diesel they use. They just know how much they spent on diesel. So there, there's another model that says, okay, well, based on when it was consumed, based on when it was purchased, based on where it was purchased, this is likely the amount of diesel, right? And so you can imagine then kind of a layer going from spend-based data to quantity-based data, and then quantity-based data to kind of emission data. And that emission data is then aggregated across the entire country, across the entire company, across all these different activities, and you get an estimate for their emissions, right? So that, but, but I, I choose diesel because it's a very simple one. You could imagine if instead of diesel, the, the question was, well, I buy a lot of pens and pencils, and that contributes to what's called scope three emissions, what am I? What are the emissions associated with that pen and pencil? You can imagine that's a lot more complicated than like diesel, right? And so I, I'm simplifying it just to illustrate kind of the different levels, but uh, it is a very complex kind of technical problem. But that's also what makes this like fun and interesting. Like it's it's very interesting uh, problem. To solve. Yeah. And and what we've also tried to do is really understand what type of data customers have today. Right. So one thing we realized that was in, that in India specifically, accounting data tends to be very similar across organizations because GST is standardized. Right. right. Now we started using accounting data for a lot of our calculations because it is it may not be the deepest data, but it's consistent. It's always auditable. Companies rely on it. It's much easier to get it. It's a source of truth. It becomes a source of truth. Right. right. So. And we get to a certain level of accuracy with that, but it helps customers move forward, right? That becomes a starting point. And then you say, okay, out of this entire bucket of emissions, where are the biggest uh, hotspots? And let's go deeper there rather than trying to achieve 100% accuracy on everything. The other thing we also do is we do this at layers, right? So for example, when we work with banks, we tell them, hey, we can start with, you just give us category level data of how you do lending. Or you can go one level deeper and give us very accurate subsector level data. Or you can go one level further deeper and give us loan level data. Or we can go further deeper and actually engage with the companies you lend to to get that data, right? So we allow customers to also choose at what level of abstraction do they want to start and what depending on what data they have, what buy-in they have. You have to yeah. manage both the types of data and that level of abstraction in each of those categories of data. Right. So it seems rather complex and uh, how do you think about scaling something like this? Because uh, if you think of a productized approach to this, right, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start, right, other than perhaps building some tools that could make your life a little simpler in terms of data crunching and whatnot. How do you build a customer-facing tool for something like this? Like, where do you start? See, let me flip this, right? Like, the only every company in India and across the world needs to become sustainable. The only way we or anyone can achieve that is if it's product, right? If you, if you try to do this through consulting, there's no way SMEs can become sustainable, right? Like there's only such a limited set of companies, right? So one, the way I think about it, there is no option. We have to figure it out, right? We might have gone just 20% of the way there, but we know we have to solve the rest because, I mean, what's the alternative? Right? That said... There are more and more sophisticated tools available today, right? Especially using things like AI, etc., where you can take data that looks very different and create almost, we call these internally wizards, that can take a type of data and convert it into a certain standardized form of data, 
right? And you can create those visits to be more custom for larger organizations and more standardized for smaller organizations. Apart from that, there is a certain set of tools that most companies use. Right? You'll use SAP or you'll use Oracle or you'll use different tools for different types of things, right? So over time, we are going to start integrating with those tools and directly pulling in the relevant data. So that will make it even more standardized. And let me just add to that, actually, even from a data perspective, to answer your question, like we recently worked with a client that had, this was not even their entire data set, this was very specific to their, what's called purchased goods and services, which is a specific type of category, had 4 million data points. And so the reason I would actually go as far as to say that it has to be productized, not only for scale, to Ankit's point about kind of, you know, marginal cost and things like that, but even from just a pure kind of data throughput perspective, like you can't have an Excel spreadsheet with 4 million data points, right? It just doesn't exist. Like, it's just not an efficient way to process that data. Uh, and the type of, you know, when I walked you through a few of those models, the type of models doing that, those conversions are not Excel models. They're a lot more complex than Excel models. So to be clear, you can get kind of rough estimates using like a simple Excel model and people do that. And there is true value to that as well. But if you are striving for the state of the science understanding, if you're striving for like um, a deep kind of insightful analysis of, of your operations, you have to productize it. There is just like from a technical perspective, it is very difficult for a consultant on an Excel spreadsheet to do it at that scale. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you have to go down to the last level of abstraction and then really build depth as well, right? And also reach out to not just a few handful of organizations that you could talk to, but perhaps way more than that, right? Uh, so let's talk about customer acquisition. I wonder how that works, right? I mean, how do you get people to sort of prioritize something like sustainability? Yes, there are taxes and laws and whatnot, but somewhere there's also thinking that it's um, it doesn't make business sense. I mean, it's something that we have to comply with. In that case, people might be tempted to do the basic minimum that they are required to do and not think beyond that, right? So how do you make it a priority for them? Yeah. So I'll, I'll break this at two levels. One is pure just customer acquisition, right? So we are trying to do a lot more inbound, mm -hmm. right? Because then people come with intent, right? So we published a fair bit of content. We go to events. We engage with a lot of uh, industry bodies, right? So for example, the Indian Banks Association or NASCOM or you know, these bodies which then invite their members to come and attend the talks that we are giving and then then you get people with the right intent right so that's one level so i think that's a very smart thing right because you look at early movers in this place right i mean you're not trying to change people's minds one way or another i mean you're already looking at people who are inclined to think the way you want exactly. yeah. the second thing before we really start and bring in the product solution, we do these workshops where we make sure that your sustainability goals are linked to some sort of business ROI. Right? Because if we become purely a compliance thing, purely a cost thing, right, it's just a checklist, then that's not really going to move the needle, right? You will always look for the lowest cost way of doing it. You are yeah. not really putting your might behind it. So we actually try to make sure that every customer we bring on board, there's a clear business benefit of becoming more sustainable. It may be lower cost of capital, it may be higher PE ratios because your ESG rating is improving, it may be higher sales in, geogra in geographies that care about sustainability and offer higher margins. There are multiple business reasons to be sustainable, so we make sure that depending on the company, we find that fit. So talk to us a little bit about your journey so far and mm -hmm. you know what the roadmap looks like going forward. Well, the journey so far has been a lot of that time has gone into product development and research and just making sure that the first MVP, 
comes out well. Uh, the last three to six months have focused on getting our early customers. We have now working with, and honestly, I didn't think I'll be sitting here and working with some of the largest companies in India. So the largest banks, FMCG companies, automotive companies are all our clients. And that validates to some extent the value that people are seeing in the deep sort of research and insights that we were bringing. Uh, because one of the worries, honestly, we had as founders is would people try and solve for the lowest common denominator, right? The cheapest solution, just get some consulting work done, as you were saying, right? Just a tick mark in compliance. And so far, that's not turned out to be true for especially the larger companies who really care. Right? Going forward is where now we are really starting to focus on scale. We have our product ready. We have some great case studies. We have some good customer references. We want to just now go out to the market, get our first 100 customers uh, across a different sort of sectors across India. And post that, we'll basically look at moving outside India. In the end, it's a global problem. Uh, our product is global in nature. Right? There's no reason to limit ourselves to India. How does hiring work in you know, your case? Right? I mean, because it's a very... Uh, nascent market and I'm sure that you know the number of qualified people is a very finite number right I mean uh, so do you get on board uh, generalists consultants let's say uh, and sort of get them in the mold of you know what it takes to operate in this space or I mean do you have you found some hacks or some other things that have worked for you on the hiring front? Yeah, I can take this, I guess. So uh, I think you're alluding to also specifically the research team, right? We have a very large research team, which is atypical, I think, for, for a lot of SaaS companies. And I think the way we've approached it, so we are an international team in that we have kind of talent all over the globe. Um, so, you know, we have people working out of Europe, we have a person in Egypt. So we have kind of, you know, tried to source the right people and been flexible on kind of where, the, where, they're, where they're working from. And so far, it's been it's been great. We also took the tact of kind of finding there are a lot of people that care deeply about climate and that are that are very motivated, very intelligent. You know, they they want to contribute to solutions, and so we took the approach of trying to seek those people out. And so it, it took time, like the hiring process. You know, it took me a few months of you know interviewing a lot of people to kind of find uh, the people in our research team today. But I think it's been a great experience to take these talented young researchers and, and sci young scientists and train them to, you know, think a certain way about the space, to understand nuances. And I've seen, I've worked with, you know, a few of them now for a little over a year. And it's been great. I mean, you know, we've, we're slowly but surely kind of developing a very sophisticated team of researchers that actually understand the space and that are increasingly now able to kind of independently problem solve. So, you know, they themselves are kind of developing the skills and the nuance to look at a problem and think about how they would approach it in a way that is novel. So I think the it's been kind of this dual approach where one, sometimes you do need to find domain experts and we've been flexible, you know, in terms of where we find them globally. But then two, also just nurturing young talent that's really excited and interested in working in the climate space. The good thing is, when it's a nascent market, you find people who are mission-driven, right? right yeah. You generally find people who want to work for that hot SaaS startup yeah. or something like that. And God knows we need less of that. You know, you've, you've been executing the space uh, in this space for a while. What are some of those things that are, you know, probably secrets of the trade, right? I mean, things that only you would understand from having executed in the space, right? Something that's unintuitive for, you know, someone looking at the space from the outside, like... Uh, Think of it as things that work uniquely to this particular space. Right? I'm just asking from the hmm. perspective of, let's say, a young person who wants to start up in sustainability, right? Build a solution for the plethora of problems that are there. 
what are some two or three things that uh, might smack them in their face uh, <laughs> once they start something in this? Yeah. So I think one, because most people come into this space from an impact lens, from a mission lens, I would say to mo- any entrepreneur starting up is don't get disheartened that people don't care because majority of people don't care, right? It is, they have their day jobs, they have, like everyone has stuff to do. Not everyone is thinking about the environment, is thinking about the climate, even though it's, it's, it is like a ticking bomb, right? It is, there's only so much time we have to solve this problem, right? So you have to go in assuming that you will have to be a cheerleader for climate. It's not enough to solve the problem. You have to keep creating awareness. You have to keep cheerleading the cause. Second is I would say, don't fall in love with the problem but not your idea. The problem is worth solving. Your specific idea may work, may not work, be flexible, change when you think your idea is not working because the space is so nascent. We, we honestly don't know what will work. Pick a problem that you feel passionate about, but then be flexible with how you're going to solve the problem. One thing that this people tend to know, but I think that uh, a lot of people coming into this space don't always appreciate is there's actually no source of truth in this space. Right? Like when you think about financial accounting sales, it's it's there's there's real truth. Did I close that deal? Did what is my exact number? Like this thing at the end of the day. In climate, almost everything is modeled. So when you don't have a source of truth, it's very important to have credibility. It's very important to do things the right way. Right? Almost going overboard in doing things the right way because, in the end, it's your name that stands behind the work you've done. Right? Because there's no way for anyone to really check whether how close you are to the truth because there is no truth right? it is very hard for somebody to actually say how many emissions were actually emitted by this part of your supply chain by that window who knows right it has to be estimated so that's that's another thing right credibility is extremely important in this space uh, where should someone start you know what are some journals or uh, google places to, to just get started on this uh, maybe who to follow what to learn upon etc it's a great question um, you said journals, so my mind immediately goes to like scientific <laughs> journals, right? I think that, yeah, it's a, there are actually a couple of like the Prime Coalition, actually, in the US, a small VC, well, not that small, they're a well known kind of VC fund. They have done a lot of very interesting thought leadership in this space. So it's, it's a place that I would say if someone's interested, particularly, I'm assuming the lens that you're asking from is someone interested in, interested in starting a company, right? So I think that is a great place to go. There also, and Ankit can talk more about this, but there is a thriving kind of ecosystem in India itself that is starting to think very intentionally about climate. So there are all these different groups and different events that are somewhat ad hoc, but you kind of end up meeting the same people. You know, (laughs) it's forming into a community. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, I think one thing, and this maybe also dovetails a little bit with your last question, like understanding the science, as Ankit was saying, uh, and so actually reading journals, right? It's like scientific journals <laughs> and having someone with the ability to kind of translate what's happening in academia to the real world is really important in my personal opinion. Like I think... Perhaps also an unfair advantage, right? I mean, when you're operating in such a field. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say fair, unfair. You know, I want more people to do this stuff. You know, I'm of the opinion that we need more people doing this kind of work. But I think to Ankit's point, if I can just build on that and... I guess, answer both these questions. I think it is very important to not conflate precision with accuracy, right? Oftentimes when we talk to people, they say, hey, but you know, like I want this to the 0.59 
two level, right? Where you've only given me kind of this whole number. And there's a very important reason for that, right? Again, like Ankit was saying, these things are modeled. You need to be thoughtful about it. But then to your question about, you know, how do you make those decisions on the product side and on the research side, I do think it is important to be grounded in the science. Ultimately, the whole concept of climate change is kind of born out of his scientific understanding of, you know, our, our world, right? Uh, and the impact that, you know, we have on it. And so I think, in my personal opinion, it is important for someone on your team to have a thoughtful and mindful kind of understanding of that space. Right. I think that's a great note to end the podcast on. I mean, uh, we've discussed a lot of nuances about this space and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, this will spur 10, 15, 20, who knows how many people to start up in this space and hopefully they can reach out to you as well in case, yep. uh, you know, they have some queries about uh, how to build and scale. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Siddharth, for joining us as well. And this was an awesome conversation. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. much. Thank you so much.